Last week, uh, well, really for the past several Sundays, we've been talking about Paul's concern for his community. And we're over the next uh, weeks, we're going to be talking about more about our responsibility to have a concern for our community. You're going to hear more about outreach and how that ought to be the passion of our church. Paul had that as the passion of his heart for his own community, for his own nation. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart uh, for uh, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And we talked about the lost sheep of the house of Israel and the burden that God, that Paul bore for those people. And he bore that burden because God bore a burden for them. And we considered the first verse of Romans 10, which is where we're going to be today in Romans 10, when Paul said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for Israel, is that they might be saved. Now, ultimately, we've been looking at how Paul divided people up, and he had a good way of doing that, not because he wanted them to be divided, but because he wanted them to know their need of God. So he put people in categories. He said, you're either, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ, which means you're lost or you're saved. You are either outside God's purpose or you're inside God's purpose, which means you're lost or you're saved. He said, you're either a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy. You're either lost or, or you're saved. And in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, we looked at that one single verse last week where Paul said, by nature, all of us are children of wrath. By nature, that's who we are. In other words, by nature, left to ourselves, we are headed for destruction. Perhaps you've been following the news of uh, what's happened out in, in Idaho, with the, in Moscow, Idaho, uh, where the person who was pursuing a Ph.D. in criminology, supposedly going to chase criminals, turned out to be one, turned out to be warped and wicked, turned out to be a very, very bad person. Now, how would you identify yourself? You say, well, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that. I wouldn't put myself in his category. But Paul would put you in that category. He puts us all in that category, left to ourselves, we're all headed for the judgment of God, and the judgment of God is coming. Now, <clears throat> Paul said the reason he had a burden for people, he said, I have a burden for people, and I want them to know God's plan, God's way of salvation. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. That's God's plan, and we've established that's God's plan regardless of a person's nationality or their religious heritage, salvation for all people, people is centered in this message called the gospel. Now let's look at the first two verses of Romans chapter 10. Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that's for Israel, is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. In other words, they were all excited about God. But here's the first point we need to make, and that's this, that you can have a zeal for God and still be lost. You can believe in God. You can believe He exists. You can believe that He is. 
You can believe he created the world. You can, you can even be, uh, believe something about morality and morals and, and, and believe some of the things the Bible says about God and still be lost. The Jews believed the Old Testament according to their thinking, but they were still lost according to Paul. What does it mean to have a zeal for God? Well, a zeal is passion, it's fire, it's fervor. Someone describes zeal in this way. They said zeal is like fire. And fire, he said there's an old proverb, fire is a, is a good servant, but it's a bad master. You can take fire and you can heat your home. You can take fire and you can cook your food. You can take fire out into the forest and you can build a campfire and you can camp safely in the forest. But fire out of control will burn down your house and it'll burn down the forest and it'll destroy you. So zeal, while it can be a good thing, zeal out of control is a disaster. Paul talked about his own zeal. He said, I had such a zeal that early on, he said, I persecuted the church in an effort to destroy it. That was Paul's own zeal for God. He had a zeal for God, but he was going the wrong way, doing the wrong thing. But one day he talks about his own experience. He said, one day I was on a road between Jerusalem and Damascus. I was on my way to persecute more people, more Christians, and suddenly I was struck down by this blinding light from heaven. And when, he, when that happened, Paul immediately knew he was in the presence of God, a God he didn't know. And so he said, who are you, Lord? And, and, and he meant that in every sense of the word, Lord. Who are you, Lord? And the reply was, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. He thought he was going God's way, doing God's will, but instead he was opposing God. He was away from God. He was outside of God's purpose because, as Paul ultimately discovered, he was, by nature, a child of wrath. He was not saved. He was lost. And he knew the same thing about his friends and family and neighbors and countrymen who were still Jews. They needed to be saved. They had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What kind of knowledge did they lack? Well, they not lacked the knowledge about who Jesus really was. The Bible says about them that when Jesus came, he came to his own and they received him not. They despised him. They rejected him. They crucified him, they missed his mercy, and they were outside his purpose. Look at Romans chapter 10, verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Here's another division. Your goodness and God's goodness. Your righteousness and God's righteousness. So I told you, I've told you before that when I was growing up, going to church as a boy, one of the things I felt it necessary to do was every night I prayed, Lord, help me to be a good boy. I prayed that every night before I went to sleep. Lord, help me to be a good boy. And I realized I never was. I prayed that same prayer as an adult, only I have to change the word. Lord, help me to be a good man. And I still find that I'm not. I still find that I failed. Don't you find that out about yourself? And so here's the second point we, can, we need to make, and that is you can consider yourself a good person and still be lost, still be lost. What does it mean to submit to God's righteousness? First, we need to contrast our righteousness with the righteousness of God. So the Jews were 
ignorant of God's righteousness. That's what Paul said. They didn't understand what, it, what God's righteousness meant. And so that can also be true of us. So in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul said about himself, this is the way he considered himself. He said, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And as to the righteousness which is found in the law, and he's saying this, by the way, when he measured himself, he said, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I considered myself blameless. But was he blameless? Was he sinless? Well, by his own measure he was. Well, what about measured against the righteousness of God? The righteousness of righteousness is goodness, it's holiness, it's sinlessness. Goodness, holiness, sinlessness. Are you good? Are you holy? Are you sinless? Well, Paul takes the Old Testament message in the book of Romans and he establishes it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And he, the Old Testament message is... There is none righteous, no, not one. There is only one righteous. And he came down from heaven and died on the cross. But the righteousness of God is an infinite righteousness. It is an unfathomable righteousness. It is unreachable holiness. And so anything I offer to God, thinking that it is righteous, is just wrong. It proves the the unbelievable unrighteousness that lives in me. So why is it that my righteousness never measures up? Well, sometime back during the series, we, I gave you an illustration, and we talked about measuring righteousness like we measure speed. So let's measure how fast you can run. Somebody, maybe Travis up there running the sound, maybe he can run a five-minute mile. I figure he might can break five minutes running the mile. So let's say we put Travis running a five-minute mile and he runs a five-minute mile, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nonstop. I don't think he could do that, but let's say he might could try. And so let's race Travis against light. How fast does light travel a mile? Well, really, well, we can figure it up, but I don't have my scientific calculator out. But let's, we know that light travels 186,000 miles a second. So... Running a five-minute mile, how long would it take Travis to run the, the distance light travels in a single second? It would take him 646 days running as fast as he could for 24 hours a day without ever stopping. 646 days. That's almost two years to travel the distance light travels in a single second. It's unreachable. It's impossible. And so when we consider God's righteousness, we just simply don't measure up. We will never measure up. That's the message of Paul in the book of Romans. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what do I need to do to be saved then? Look at verse 4 of Romans chapter 10. He says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What is there that I need to believe? Well, look, remember Paul is talking to the Jews here. He's talking about his concern for the Jews, his burden for the Jews. And if he was going to talk to somebody about how to be saved, particularly if he was going to talk to a Jew, where would he need to talk to them from? If you were going to talk to, to a Jew about how to be saved, where would you take them? Take them to the Old Testament, right? 
Well, that's exactly what he did. As a matter of fact, the last part of chapter 9 comes from the Old Testament, and the verses that we're about to read in chapter 10 come from the Old Testament. So Paul raises a question in verse 5. Let's look at Romans 10, verse 5. Paul said, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. Remember, he's about to quote Moses. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. If you're going to live by the law, you better keep it. If you break one, you've broken them all. You're a failure. You're lost. You're doomed. You're going to judgment. You're going to hell. He says that's what Moses said. The person who's going to keep, who's got the commandments has to keep them. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, again, what you're reading in the book of Romans, except for what you see in parenthesis, comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, the verses we're about to read. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14. Paul is quoting Moses to his countrymen. Well, he's quoting them to us too, telling us these are probably the most important verses in the book of Romans because it tells us how to be saved. What must I do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? Paul says, but the righteousness based on, based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Those words are right out of the Old Testament, by the way. The parenthesis is what Paul says. That's the word we proclaim. And now Paul gives us the message of salvation. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He's quoting from the Old Testament again in that last part. So what, did, so what, what do you need to do to be saved? Well, it's something you can't do on your own. You can't, you can't, God didn't give you something hard to do. Because what he's given you that's very simple to do, you can't do. Keep the Ten Commandments. Maybe you don't know them all. Well, let's just use the easy one. Honor your father and mother. So, if you ever fail at that, you failed God big time. The first time you failed, you broke the first commandment, the second commandment, the third commandment. You just broke the fourth one by doing that. But when you break one, they're all broken. Because the first one says, you know, it talks about God's first in your life. Jesus summed it up. He summed them up this way. Two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The day you fail at that is the day you've broken most of the commandments. The day you fail to love somebody else, Jesus said, is the day you've broken all the rest of them. And so God gave you something very easy to do. And what did you prove? That you couldn't do it. He's not t told you you have to go up to heaven and bring Christ down or that you have to go down into the abyss and bring him up from the dead. All he told you to do is to keep the commandments and you couldn't do it. So instead, he's given you something else to do. And here it is. Confess with your mouth that Jesus 
is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Now we need to say something just a minute about what he means by confessing that Jesus is Lord. Do you remember uh, back up in chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, he talks about a foundation stone. He says, I'm going to lay in Zion a foundation stone, a cornerstone, a stone over which people will stumble. Well, we sing a song, Jesus is the cornerstone. And we know that. That's what the Bible teaches, that Jesus is the cornerstone. Well, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 8, we read a passage of Scripture about that cornerstone, and that's what I want to read to you at this moment. I don't want to skip over that passage of Scripture. Uh, I have to go back and make sure that I find it and, and that I don't lose it. It's from Isaiah chapter 8, and it says simply what God wants people to do. And uh, I don't want to lose that Scripture. Here it is. Chapter 8, verse 13 through 15. But the Lord of hosts, notice who he's saying, the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of heaven armies, the Lord of heaven's armies, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor. Let him be your fear. Who are we talking about now? Let's establish the Lord of hosts, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. That's a safe place. But also a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and they shall be broken. They shall be snared and they shall be taken. What is that stone of stumbling? It is the Lord himself. The Lord himself. Here is the way of salvation. That if you will confess that Jesus is that Lord that the Old Testament says he is. He is the Lord Confess that with your mouth. We studied in my Sunday school class this morning the different confessions that people made about Jesus, saying he was the Son of God, that he was the King of Israel. And Thomas, when he put his fingers in his hands, he says, my Lord and my God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that not only did did God want the Israelites to be saved? Not only did Paul want them to be saved, but it is the desire of God's heart for you to be saved. He wants you to be saved. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us. Paul said, God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, still sinners, still by nature children of wrath, still lost, still without hope. Christ died for us. The Lord, the Lord 
took his hands and laid them willingly on that cross and allowed himself to be crucified to demonstrate his love for you. He wants you to be saved. It's not just Paul wanting somebody to be saved. God wants you to be saved. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, God our Savior desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want to say some people. No, all people. That means you. And that means me. So, we read verses 11 through 13 of Romans 10. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. In other words, the way of salvation doesn't teeter and totter. It's this way for the Jews and it's this way for somebody else. No, there's one way of salvation and that's Jesus Christ. There is no distinction. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look, there's a moment in everybody's life when these verses become very, very personal. Very, very personal. You remember we've been talking about how God brings people inside his purpose. Only God can do that. He chooses to speak to you. He speaks to your heart and says, now I want to bring you inside my purpose. He calls you. He says, I'm ready for you to come. And what I want you to do is I want you to call on me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What Lord is that? That's the Lord Jesus who died on the cross, who stretched out his hands on the cross for you to demonstrate God's love for you, to show you his love for you. He will call to you. He will send you an invitation. He will speak to your heart. He will speak to you personally and powerfully, and you will know beyond any shadow of a doubt that it has been the Lord who spoke to you. It is he who called you. And the Bible promises here, if you put your faith in him, if you put your trust in him, you will never, ever be disappointed. He will not let you down. And so what is there for you to do? What great work is there for you to do? Is there some great mountain for you to climb? Some stairs for you to crawl up on your knees on and pray all the way up so that you can be saved? No, there's one thing for you to do. Believe. Believe in your heart who Jesus is. Confess that with your mouth. Not be ashamed to confess it before men. To confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that after he died on that cross, God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Let's pray.